When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview was a real treat. Scholar. Okay, so how many people already turned off the, the uh, you know the, the podcast or fast forwarded? Uh, does anyone even know what that is? Because I, I didn't really, and had to look it up. Patristic, P A T R I S T I C. I feel Brad. I feel like we've got a new bumper sticker here in the making. Brad Jerzak is a friend of mine. He's a theologian. He's a thinker. He's a philosopher. He's a guy who's going deeper on. On, on on religiosity and 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 faith practices he's he's somebody who is uh, reading and writing and thinking a lot about things like moving from alienation to belonging and on a certain level that sounds so i don't know maybe kind of trite or academic but but what's beautiful about my conversation with Brad is it it's so not that it's 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 practical he Brad talks about the church you know not being a courtroom but being more more of a hospital he talks about how the truth of our being uh, can become the way of our being. We talk about knowledge and a different kind of knowing in a way uh, that we can all work together towards embodying a life of of love. And 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 so often though we've been we've been given this script that frankly isn't all that well written and rooted in all kinds of false assumptions and uh, troubling claims. So so listen in bradjerzak dot com. He's um he's he's a writer. He's just published a new book. You can uh, access it uh, there online. Um, and don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my uh, writing, my public speaking as well. You can also pick up a copy of Real Change is Incremental there uh, through Amazon. Please do that if you get a chance. If you like what we're doing here at Face to Face, I would really appreciate it 
if you came alongside and supported us, even in a small amount monthly uh, through Patreon.com, you can do that. Uh, we would certainly appreciate appreciate that. And if you can't do that, which I totally get, if you could leave us a review, iTunes review can go a long way. It really can. You know, just getting that digital movement going online can can make all the difference in the world. Uh, sign up for our newsletter, forward the interviews, the podcasts along to friends. We've got so many things coming up that are pretty exciting in the near future. So stay tuned for that, face-to-face-live.ca. You could also advertise with us. Uh, we have a newsletter. We uh, have banner ads. We have ads that can be embedded within uh, podcasts and interviews themselves. So so look into that and, and reach out to us if, if you're interested. And also don't forget to rabble.ca, news for the rest of us, uh, a, a platform where face-to-face exists. And you've got writers and thinkers and bloggers and podcasters making contact with reality in meaningful ways. Uh, stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. As they say, coming right up, Brad Jerzak. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today to to talk about uh, one of my favorite uh, topics, I guess. Uh, well, maybe Brad would disagree with me on this, but Brad Jerzak's here today to talk about things connected to in and around religion. Brad, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the time. So, so is that okay? Can we say that, that we're here to talk about religion today? Is that a... Yeah, it might help to define it for people in Probably. that um, there's two very different uses these days. Uh, one in terms of religion, just as faith practice. So, you know, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all that have faith practices. And I think that's a fairly benign word then if we identify these as religions. These are faith practices of people groups. And then we also have another usage that probably got um, a real negative spin on it over the years. We might call it like religiosity, actually. And um, people would then contrast religion over against spirituality or religion over against relationship and so on. And that's where um, it would be a bit of a pejorative. And I'm comfortable with both uses because people people talk the way they talk and I understand what they mean. Didn't, um, I, I, every now and then this comes up, Lenny Bruce, um, really dating myself. I, I never saw the guy live. I mean, we're talking about the late 60s. I think I was about three. Um, but wasn't he arrested for, I mean, he was, he was quite, a, quite a controversial comic. Anyway, there's a great quote attributed to him. Everyday people are leaving religion and coming back to God. Wow. Is, yeah. I mean, I'm, that I'm makes pretty, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Is that, does that connect a little bit even to, to the way you've just been sort of defining it? It does. And in fact, it goes, I think that really started with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth, these German theologians from roughly around World War II time. They are the ones that started using it in that way, but it's become really popular now. So even I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and I met this Muslim guy and I said, oh, do you, so do you go to the mosque? And he said, oh no, I'm a, I'm a Muslim, but I'm not religious. And so I thought that was funny because I see that in, in Canada a lot as well. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious. So they're wanting to to somehow disconnect probably from institutional or hierarchical mm. or patriarchal sort of uh, religious forms. And I must say that as they do, I'm I'm not sure that they're doing anything but jumping from the frying pan into the fire because... Mm. I, I've experienced anarchy is as bad as hierarchy at times. So, 
Does it does um, it bother you as a theologian, as a as a as a scholar that uh, the stats seem to suggest people are kind of walking away from the church? And again, you'd probably want to define what the church is. Yeah, in fact, I'm glad you asked because I think I may have a very unique take on the church, and and I I'm getting this from the Eastern Orthodox theologians where they think of the church as bigger than Christianity, not as the institutional subset of Christian faith but rather of all people alive and dead uh, who would constitute the, the people of God. So that's actually bigger than the Christian religion. So that's, that's an interesting angle on it, I think. And so it enables me to think about people who are, let's, let's say, friends of mine who would be Christ-following Muslims or Christ-following Hindus. Are they, are they in the church? Well, if they're associated with Christ, then actually, yeah. And that would include Old Testament believers, but then even it's very expansive to include both, and then the angels, and then life on other planets. So ch church then becomes this grand people of God that's much bigger than the Christian religion. And that enables me to, to watch for how God is at work in people outside my circles. Is that a, a, a Christ follower who's a Muslim strikes me, and mostly probably because of the tradition I've come out of, uh, and well, I'm happy to chat about that, and I'm pretty, pretty sure I've talked about it on other interviews, it sounds a little oxymoronic in some respects and probably controversial to some. You, you've got a much more, it seems to me, inclusive approach with, I mean, oh, and by the way, let's just, I mean, Brad's the author of many books, but A More Christ-Like God is is the book that 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 sort of was the preface for this conversation, really. Um, um, a More Beautiful Gospel is the subtitle, and, and hopefully you're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff that you've just recently published as well. But here's the quote on the front of the book, folks, uh, quote, atonement theology like nothing I've come across, period, magnificent. That was by... Uh, another um, uh, spiritual religious thinker, faith-based um, man, Eugene Peterson. Um, yeah, so so we're going to get into that. I want to talk about atonement theology and, and and what this thing, penal substitutionary atonement, really is all about and, and why it might matter or not, depending on your approach. But tell me about that inclusive edge to um, your take on the church. It sounds like the church is this patron of saints, at yeah, large, at large, like this is a very big circle that you've just drawn. Yeah, I think it can be. And, and what I'm doing there is I'm saying, you know, whatever God is, I think my belief system says there's one God and that that God has revealed himself in Christ. And so that anybody who calls out to God, who listens to God and who obeys God is really connecting to that Christ, even if they don't know that Jesus is the Christ. So in other words, I'm thinking about Cornelius in the book of Acts, and I do this in the book In, where I talk about how Cornelius, according to God, speaking to Peter before he's a Christian, is already uh, clean before God, righteous before God, and acceptable to God. And his faith practices include prayer and almsgiving, and God regards these very highly. All of this is before a Christian faith for him. Not only that, but then Cornelius begins to have spiritual experiences that are validated in, in Acts as well, including angelic visitations and prophetic visions and specific words of knowledge, even down to what address to go to. And again, all of that is 
in a sense before Christ, but then I kind of challenge that and I say, is he really, was it before Christ or is Christ already at work mm. in him, already hearing his prayers, already setting him up to hear about uh, the gospel through Peter. So that too is interesting because while his faith practices and spiritual experiences are validated and he's even considered clean and righteous and acceptable, some somehow God still wants Peter to share the good news that this one, this God, this spirit that, that Cornelius is worshiping has come in the flesh, died for him, risen from the dead. And when he starts telling them about this, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, who's already been working with him. But it seems to me now he enters a new relationship with this God, um, a relationship where he begins to know that through the cross, all his sins are forgiven. And through the resurrection, he never needs to fear the power of death again. And that this spirit that's been interacting with him will now live in him as the spirit of sonship. And through that spirit in him, he now knows God, not only as the God out there, but as this intimate Papa or Abba. And um, so he comes into a Trinitarian faith without negating the journey along the way. So I like to think of his baptism that day as like, the breaking of the waters of his new birth. So he's been in the womb and he's come to full term and now he's experienced the gospel. And again, you know, in modern, uh, modern Christianity, we've often expected people just to toss their entire journey prior to their, you know, baptism or renounce all their faith practices and spiritual experiences rather than seeing that Christ has already been out there ahead of us and walking with them on their journey, wherever that path has led them, somehow he brings them into the family of God in a new and fresh way. Although they were already children of God prior to that, if you think about the prodigal son, the prodigal son was all, always a son, but now he's living in the father's house. And that's sort of how I see Cornelius and a lot of these other folks who have encounters with God prior to knowing that this God has come in the flesh as Jesus Christ. So, so the notion of prior or, or outside doesn't really exist in this framework of yours. So, so in a sense, it's about experience. It's not yeah. really about evidence. Is that a fair question? Right. Does that make Yeah, sense? that is. I think that makes sense. The language that, uh, that I use and some of my friends like Baxter Kruger or Paul Young have used is that, um, that, the truth of our being is that we're in God. And now as we hear about the gospel or the good news of Jesus, we realize that the truth of our being can become the way of our being. Or another way of saying it would be that it, that what was already true, like I am already forgiven, now becomes my experience where I, where I, in hearing about what God has done, I don't have to live under that, under guilt anymore. I can, I can, feel the forgiveness that was already mine. I can feel and experience the eternal life that was already mine. And so it's, it's from the truth of our being to the way of our being, if that makes sense. And so would you say that uh, this idea, uh, let's use Cornelius as the example that he might've been prior or outside of is actually uh, that approach or that interpretation or that understanding is what's getting in the way of us um, experiencing the truth of our being? I wonder that. Yeah. In a sense, uh, was he ever before Christ? So I might say, well, yeah, there was a time when he had not yet identified with Christ. But in a sense, uh, 
could he ever have been before Christ? If Christ, Christ came before him and had Cornelius in his heart when he united with him in his incarnation. So when, when Christ becomes human, he embraces all people, but people don't know that yet. And so we might make this distinction that they've never been separated from God because mm. God's never left them. But they could live in alienation from God if they're unaware of that union, if they're unaware that God loves them, if they're unaware that God is walking with them, then they sort of live as if he's not there. And uh, the good news is that he is there and always has been. So it's not that we needed God to turn to us or come back to us, but perhaps we need to have our eyes open to see the, all the ways that he's been involved in our lives. And I love praying that with people. I'll just say, would you be open to me praying a prayer for you? I would like I would like to ask God to show you now some times in your life when you've already met him. And it, it's uncanny. Mm. They always have. That's never not true. And and then I say, see, he's already been with you. And now I'm wondering if if you'd want to experience more of that and is it the, so, that inheritance. So is it important to put the language to it? In a sense, so so my Buddhist friends in Cambodia, for instance, is it important yep. that they have this, uh, you know, um, propositional or, yep. you know, explicit understanding that you can actually put on paper and then translate into Khmer? Well, I think I think so for two reasons. I think so because at least in that story, Peter thought so. He didn't meet Cornelius and then say, oh, he's just fine. We don't need to tell him about Christ. Um, we, you know, he's already acceptable before God, clean before God. So what's the point? Um, but Peter sees a point and he starts pointing at this one. Why does he do that? And this is where a second witness comes in, uh, John Wesley. John Wesley came to North America and he was encountering people, uh, First Nations people here. And among them, he was meeting those who had a relationship with the Creator. And he recognized that when they prayed, they were praying to our God. And that that God heard their prayers. That God had answered their prayers. And in fact, that God had sent them John Wesley to tell them about, about uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Why does that matter? And so Wesley's answer to that was twofold. Um, so that they would come into the, their full inheritance, that they would realize everything that is theirs, um, that God has for them. And, and then second, that they'd come into a full assurance of that. So prior to that, let's say they're relating to God, they're reaching out to God, and then, and then Wesley comes along and he says, actually, this God wants to live inside you. Actually, this God has come to earth and he's taken care of the entire debt of sin. Uh, this God has come to earth and in perfect love drives out fear. So you never need to engage in, in appeasement kind of practices anymore. Uh, you don't need to be afraid of death anymore. And so it's like there's a, a deepening of their faith when they see this singular revelation of Jesus that God is our intimate indwelling Abba. That, that's a new, that's the new thing that Christ brings to the table. And you go and you go and don't you go then uh, if that's the case, don't you then go from this spirit of alienation to 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 one of um, um, inclusion or acceptance or affirmation, I guess, alienation to I, affirmation? 
Yeah, I really think so. And in fact, where I see this a lot is in 12-step recovery, well, uh, and Alcoholics Brad, and, Anonymous. And, 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 sorry, Brad, I'm glad you went there because I, I want to, I, and I want to make it really practical here because yep. that to me, it, I mean, if that's true, then it changes everything because now the conversation with an atheist has to be, yep. has to be reframed, has to be reformulated, oh, uh, right? I mean, absolutely. Our, our 20, what is it? 2000 to 1800 years of history. It doesn't have to be rewritten, but it has to be seen in a new way through a new lens. Sorry, I interrupted you, but that, I, no, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking like with 12-step uh, recovery, you have these addicts who are relating to a higher power. And I know that some Christians have been skeptical about like whether that works or if that's real and if it's even our God. But hang on a second. The God of 12-step recovery has a very specific kind of nature. And it that is that he's loving, caring, forgiving, personal, and responsive. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow, you've just described Christ as I know him. And mm. so not only the not only are they relating to this this um this God who cares about them, by step three they're surrendering their lives and their will over to his care. And by step eleven they're practicing prayer and meditation to improve their conscious contact with this God. And and I can come along and say, you know, I believe the God you've already been relating to and in fact has been transforming you and setting you free, that he was embodied. And, and, and let me tell you more about his story. And they may or may not receive that. You know, when, when Paul preaches very inclusively in Athens, once he got to the details of Christ's death and resurrection, they kind of turned away from him. But not all do. Some are like, okay, I'm, I get it now. Uh, so I already know the light who's come into the world. I know the word who's created all things and that this word, this light was made flesh in Jesus. Okay, so what does that do with guilt? What does that do with shame? And you you named it before. We come out of alienation into belonging. And that mm. happens to be um, the silver bullet for, for addictions. If you can move from alienation to belonging, that like that's number one in in terms of recovery and if we're and that's working, what the gospel offers and if we're and if we're working from a, a position of uh, i belong i matter i'm included i'm worthy etc now that changes every conversation that comes or, and every act frankly that comes after right because it's not like you're out and i got to get you in and you've got to do this to get in and until you do you're not in you know all of that has been so brutal and it's it i think it it fails to read the new testament correctly well, and, and I was going to ask you, as you were chatting a little bit uh, earlier there before I, I made that, that quick comment, t tell me a bit about that baggage, about that brutal baggage, because it, it seems that we like to talk about separation a lot. And when I say we, I mean the church, whatever yep. that means, the Western church, let's say, um, which is, I suppose, pretty big. We love to talk about evil. We love to talk about sin and, and we love to talk about separation. And then sadly... Uh, on the other hand, we talk about grace and yet don't seem to live within it. I don't know. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, it totally does. I think, you know, we, we what was popularized through Campus Crusades for Spiritual Laws is that your sin has separated you from God. And they didn't coin that. You know, they, that's an inheritance of the evangelical tradition. And they probably got it from somewhere else. You know, your sin separates you from God. Well, is that really even true? Where did we get that idea? Well, we got it out of half a verse in Habakkuk where it says, 
uh, you know, God, I know your eyes are too holy to look on sin. But the next part of the verse is, so why do you? You know, mm. if, if God can't look on sin, what are we saying about Jesus? That he's not God when he, when he came to earth and he's got sin in front of him every day and he's, he's friends with sinners. We're saying he's not God. Well, of course, of course God can uh, come to us. But the key there is that he, he comes not as a punishing judge as if sin was law-breaking. He comes as a great physician as if sin is a disease. And I think that's the big shift. Um, we, and so I'll use two models here. One we call the juridical model or a courtroom metaphor. And it's, it's just as I've said, sin's this breaking God's law. And in breaking God's law, you're separated. And, that, and, and, and to belong again, to get in again, someone has to be punished. It's all about a transaction involving violent punishment against sin that so, so uh, angered God. That's so different from Eastern Christianity, which says, no, sin is much worse than lawbreaking. It's a fatal disease that ki actually kills you. And thank God we have a great physician who's come and he's united himself to the human, every aspect of the human condition to heal every aspect of the human condition, including sin and death itself. And so to me, that's a much more beautiful gospel, you know, and then the church, instead of being uh, St. John Chrysostom said this in about 400 AD. He said the the church is not a hospital where, I mean, not a, the church is not a courtroom where you come to get condemned for your sins. It's to be a hospital where you come to be set free and, and healed from them. And, and what a different view of God that becomes then. Um, judge versus doctor. It's, it's really good. I, I mean, there's so, so many places I want to go with this and, and I'm already frustrated that, that we're just, we're barely, we're barely going to scratch the surface in this, in this interview, Brad. So I'm already booking us a, a part two. Um, Sounds good. Uh, my people will be in touch with yours. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe that's a nice little sort of step into this idea of, you know, you know, riffing off of Eugene Peterson's comment, atonement theology, like nothing I've come across. What exactly is atonement theology i mean is it is it that for i mean i had a joke for a while the fifth spiritual law is realizing that there are more than four spiritual laws um, <laughs> yeah maybe we should write that one but anyway um you know i grew up as a kid uh, deeply evangelical uh, kind of almost a mennonite brethren like roots lots of sin lots of darkness lots of separation lots of guilt I mean, there was there was a profound sense of hospitality as well, which was a real contradiction in some respects for, for, for me and my upbringing. But but is it connected to that? Is it that that, oh, I'm on this side, uh, God's way over on that other side. There's this huge precipice in between. I got to figure out how to get across this bloody bridge. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, so, you know, thankfully, a lot of people live better than their theology. They embody uh, actually a transformed life of love, but then we've been given a script and the script doesn't even match how the goodness that I see among the Mennonites, you know, um, but that script then can also really hurt you and hurt others and be used as a bludgeon on others. And, and yeah, so if you can imagine, let, let me paint you two pictures. So one is this idea that sin separates you from God. And so we imagine this giant chasm between us and God and, and, and really you could never cross it. So then in the, in this picture, the cross is painted as this bridge and then you walk across right, the chasm yep. on the bridge. 
but implicit in that was that the, the cross was about how God punished Jesus instead of you. And now you can walk across the bridge and sometimes that walk can become very legalistic. It's like, well, if, if you're not living by the script, then you're not really crossing the bridge and maybe, you, maybe you're still on the other side. Um, to paint a different picture, and I think I get this one from the Gospel of Luke, um, sin is the chasm that we have fallen into helplessly as a human race. And Christ has entered that chasm and gone to the very bottom, right down to the, the abyss of Hades and found Adam and Eve who represent humanity. And in his, in, in going down like the good shepherd who goes to find the sheep, he's gone down into right into death itself and then come back out. And he didn't come alone. Uh, he leads humankind up with himself. So it's sort of like into the, it's not crossing an abyss. It's, it's, he enters the abyss and draws us up with himself. And this is kind of like, we sing this every week in the Eastern church hymns, like literally every week. It's about how in his death, he destroys death and raised up Adam or you or me with him. So that's the, that's the truth. And now how do we live that truth? How do we tell that truth? So, uh, and that's the trick. Is it, so is there a, for you, is there a distinction that, well, there, there is, I think in the answer, but, uh, this, this P PSA, mm -hmm. uh, P penal substitutionary atonement, uh, you, I, I'm certainly hearing about it a little bit more these days, it seems, uh, reading about it from time to time. Uh, I find it interesting that the PSA, the acronym is connected to PSA testing, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, and public service announcements. Well, as there well. you go, a third one. So we've got three <laughs> podcasts in the making here. Yeah, is this about is this about a creator taking a bullet? Yeah, uh, but yeah, who's 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 holding the gun is the question, mm. right? And so let's just back into it. Um, so atonement is an English word that originally actually did break down into at one meant. In other words, reconciliation. So when the English word atonement was uh, was composed as a word, it meant reconciliation, but language drifts over time mm -hmm. in the same way that words like gay or lame or whatever, the, the usage changes the meaning of the word. And atonement came to mean something more like appeasement, soothing someone's wrath so they don't smite you. That's... I'm, I need to atone for my, my mm. sin and that kind of things. You do, atoning for your sin was somehow doing a abasement or something like that or penance. But in the orig, originally, it just meant reconciliation. So then the question back in the day was, uh, how are we reconciled to God? Penal substitutionary atonement said, you can only be, God can't freely forgive sin. He has to punish it. So to be made right with, if, if, if to be made right with God, if he doesn't punish it in you forever in hell, then he has to punish it in his son who's eternal. And, and uh, that then he takes the punishment for you in your play. He's your substitute then. And some would say that's a crass way of describing it, but that's exactly how it's preached popularly. That So in that model, God's holding the gun and he shoots it at Jesus instead of you. And 
Um, what I'm saying is that that, that does a, a, few, a few very nasty things to our theology. One is it, it sets God against us because he needs to shoot us. He can't just forgive us, which is odd. The book of Hosea was all about how God freely forgives prior even to repentance and without punishment. If he could do that in the Old Testament, what's this about? So it pits God against us. It pits the father against the son as if they're different. Um, that, that it divides the Trinity, and that's just formally, historically a heresy um, to divide father, the father and, and son. It's one God. You can't do that. But anyway, uh, it makes God holier than his son, too, in, in a sense. So there's just so many problems with this idea. How The book of Acts preaches it every single time there's an evangelistic sermon, whether to Jews in the Sanhedrin or to Gentiles in Athens. It's always the same. God sent his son you killed him. God raised him from the dead. Jesus is Lord. That's the four spiritual laws and acts. And so who's holding the gun there? We are. And where is God? He's not holding the gun. God is on the cross. God is in Christ reconciling. There it is. Reconciling the world to himself. How? By renouncing wrath as a solution and extending forgiveness freely by grace. And um, so that, that's sort of how I see it playing out. You talk a lot about in the near the end of the book. I mean, it's really a theme throughout. And and uh, I might put you on the spot and say, in, in in thirty-two words or less, can you wrap up a more Christ-like God? I mean, I and the only reason I, I even say that with a smile is I, I came across this line that I wanted to bring up. You talk about unwrathing, yeah, atonement. And 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 I think you've just done that, and you've certainly talked about that. By the way, were people like you burned at the stake a couple hundred years ago? Mm. thrown down wells yeah i i suspect there may have been a bit of that yeah bit of, <laughs> bit, of, bit of that going on you say quote preaching the gospel never meant theorizing how atonement happens but rather proclaiming good news yeah i feel i feel just as i was listening to you and i was flipping through the book looking for that line and i just feel like wow that that's the log line for the film about brad's book Hmm. Or it could be, yeah. it could be, I suppose. I'm sure there's many, there's many others too. And language speaks to people in different ways, right? It's about context and, and, and where we're at at the time and what, what precedes it and what comes after in the conversation that's going on and how much wine we've had to drink and all those things. But, right. But is that, is it, does that encapsulate it to some degree? What this unwrapping? It, it kind of does. I, I would, I don't, don't count my words. I don't know if this is 32, but when I really <laughs> simplify the gospel for myself, it would yeah. be something like this. If there is a God, and I say if, not as a doubt statement, but a faith statement, because hmm. I don't get to prove it. If there is a God, that God is love, and that love was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ and comes into its clearest focus on the cross, where he reveals that God is self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. And he also it's also the decisive victory over Satan's sin and death, where that love is universalized and totalized for all, for all of humanity. I'm so not, that's kind of, um, okay, 60 words. I, I was going to say, I'm going to guess about 57, but uh, yeah. we'll cut you some okay. slack. Hey, hey <laughs> let me, let, let's back up there. Uh, and that, I think yeah. that was really great. So, so, so the if I love, I love the if, because it's a pretty big if. And yeah. then I, I want to ask this follow-up question. 
about evidence and you know does evidence ever speak for itself let's go a tiny bit philosophical for my sake if you don't mind but Mm -hmm. before we go there you said if there is a god and and this is not a doubt statement but a faith statement that's fascinating to me can can you unpack that a bit yeah i just want to be I, i i want to preface the whole thing with the if in that I'm not about to try to argue someone into the kingdom of God. Now, that's that's not to say it's irrational, but it's also to say you're not going to climb the rationalistic ladder into belief. And so I'm more, I'm more the type that says uh, the evidence I'm looking for is if there's a God, let's experiment. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's see if, and we'll say this to atheists in 12-step recovery, um, you don't have to believe there's a God yet, but here's what we're asking you to do. Pray as if there's one mm. and see what happens. And it's amazing. So I have a guy I'm sponsoring right now who he, he would say he, he wants to believe in God, but he can't. And yet he's saying the serenity prayer and we're watching him get sober. So that's interesting. And I would say to him, do you see how God has helped you? Has God... Im- where have you encountered God and why is this transforming you? And he would probably at this point say, well, he's encountered God in me. He's encountered God in the group. He's encountered God in the principles of the program. I'm like, good. That's how it works. <laughs> There's not this, you know, this glowy stick that comes in the room and zaps you. It, the love of God is embodied through willing human partners who come alongside and and give that sense of belonging. But so but, that, uh, but, it, but at his point, or at this point in his life, his understanding, his theological framework, or lack thereof, is rooted in some kind of, I suppose, toxic theology or, or a reaction to that, maybe, or some experiences that aren't just, are, are just not allowing him to even go there. Sure. And I, I think at one time I would have blamed that a lot on toxic religion. Okay. I think I'm thinking now it actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in, in terms of this, this story of our lives, because Adam and Eve is about us, um, where the, the root of it actually is shame. So you see Adam and Eve stumble. They feel shame, probably from an accusing conscience. And out of that emerges a toxic image of God as someone they need to hide from. And all of that just comes from shame. Hmm. So with this guy, he may have bumped into bad church or something, but it could just be like he's tried to live life and it was painful and some people hurt him. And and then the ways he medicated that brought shame on him. And then shame creates this, this, this ugly, scary God. So here's, I don't know if this is connected or not, Brad. I mean, it's all connected, it seems to me, in the in the greater conversation around this God hypothesis, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is um, probably going to, uh, um, I guess, connect back to your, you know, your upbringing, your history, and so on. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, how come you're not more of a rational person? But that's a ridiculous question, based on the tone of our conversation. Um, and, and you would you would argue two plus two equals four, and it's connected to my does the evidence ever speak for itself? Mm-hmm. Why God and not some other way? Why, yeah. Or sorry, why Jesus as seen? Oh, hang on, I'm trying to I'm trying to frame it here. You're gonna have sure. to, you're gonna have to <laughs> help me out. But God as seen through Jesus, I suppose, uh, and and why not some other way? Hmm. Well, 
here's a problem. I've met him, <laughs> you know, like, right, and what right. does that mean? Right. Right. Um, so it's not about like, and it, it's not about, cause I, somebody, I was in a conversation recently and, and, and the phrase, the evidence speaking for itself was used as a weapon. Really? Yeah. So, and I, and okay. I just went, hang on. It's not about the evidence. It's about the experience. That was sort of my reaction. Yeah. Now there's a philosopher named Elvin Plantinga and I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to try not to, get too philosophical here but his basic idea is this is modern moderns um, modern rationalists they and empiricists they wanted to say you have to prove it and you can only prove it in a court using reason or a lab using experiment and so they reduced all truths to that which you could prove in a courtroom or, or a laboratory and because god isn't proven there mm. there can be no god so the and we would i would call that um a lust for certitude it it it's it wants evidence beyond any reasonable doubt but that's there's another way at coming at knowledge instead of instead of that kind of certainty you can have confidence and conf and your confidence is warranted by a lot of factors so a direct experience is a kind of warrant a good reason is mm. counts you know reason does count experiment does count but there's like 10 more how about a, a if a trusted friend who you know doesn't lie to you tells you about their experience okay is that a warranting factor for me to believe something um and so pl what planting does is he just he just says we do this all the time in real life we know things and we know that we know them i know that my wife loves me i'm not going to prove that in a court or a lab but i've experienced it i know it beyond i i know it with a confidence that's greater than certainty and so it's how we know we're in love it's how i know the um, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I guess you could do that in a lab, but you know, um, I'm just saying, uh, and a good analogy for this is the OJ Simpson trials. Um, in his criminal trials, they had to prove with, uh, beyond any reasonable doubt that he was guilty. And they had the, <laughs> the jury had to, they, he was declared not guilty and they even knew he did it. <laughs> and then, so then it went to civil court. And in civil court, you use these warranting factors. You don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And he was declared guilty because they knew it. And so I'm saying like, so this idea of that you have to have that old modernist kind of proof for everything or else it's not true and you can't know it. Nobody even lives that way. Right. So um, I know there's a God. Um, I know that God has revealed himself in Jesus and sorry if it's going to include mysticism, but I think that's actually the future of, of not only well, Christianity, but all religion it's, is mystical it, encounter. It sounds to me too, like on some level, like, and I think I might've made a reference to this earlier, but doesn't, if, if what, you know, uh, what you're saying is true. And then we start to tease out the implications of this, that, you know, that God really is love and, that that uh, um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to read this quote here too from, mm -hmm. from from your book. What if Jesus's humility, meekness, and servant heart were never a departure from God's glory and power, but actually define it and demonstrate it? And again, yeah. it seems to me that's especially considering my uh, my roots and 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 uh, I might 
I might be more willing to use the phrase toxic theology, maybe. But yeah. but th- if we really believe that um, and are willing to to um, uh, cut uh, the cosmos some evidential slack, if that makes any sense, then maybe the conversation has to start over. It's like yeah. it's almost as if we have to jettison, right? And and mm-hmm. how do you do that? How does your friend in the in 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 AA? get to a point mm-hmm. where he is actually going to entertain that conversation with you. And maybe never, maybe never, but, but, but I don't know. That kind of interests me actually, because to me, it seems like we've been having the wrong conversation for what, about 2000 years. Yeah. And maybe having it with the wrong people, yeah, right. um, like this is not worked out in the corner of a seminary right. office right. somewhere. Right. This is worked out in 12 step meetings where yeah. someone has bottomed out and they say, I, I've come to this conclusion that I am powerless over my disease and my life has become unmanageable. And I'm, and, and, and then the, the program says, and, and then step two is we came to believe. So that sounds like a process, right? Mm. We came to believe that there's a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. So I'm just watching how people's journey includes how we come to believe. And often that has to do with brokenness. It has to do with our wounding. Um, for me, a lot of it was getting involved in inner healing work with, with young people who'd been sexually assaulted, molested as children. And hearing a rumor that you could invite Jesus into those painful memories, and then he did. And we're, we're talking in the fruit of that was so dramatic that their, we'll call them their non-Christian counselors and therapists were saying, we don't know how this works or why it works, but it's working, keep doing it. Mm. So they were seeing the evidence in, in these therapeutic situations. And maybe that, well, what better place to see the great physician than among people who know they're sick, you know? So, and those who don't probably aren't, aren't ripe for a conversation that, that would take it seriously and would keep it a, a head game. I love it. And again, more, more, more places to go. And sadly, we're going to, we're going to uh, wrap it up, I think in a, in a couple of minutes, but I, I, I would love to ask you, uh, and I think that's a nice segue into your, 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 your new book, which I think was just recently published a more Christ-like way. I mean, you sound to me and people are going to find this out when they go to your website, bradjerzak.com, by the way, and it's only one R, right, Brad? J-E-R-S-A-K.com. Find out more about Brad, his blog. It's, you tweet a lot, don't you, Brad? I tweet and I Facebook and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You sound too smart to be like on social media. Yeah. If I was even smarter, I would get off there. But I... <laughs> it's kind of fun though, right? I, I, I love Instagram. Yeah. I, you know, my, me and my 107 followers. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I love Instagram also. <laughs> so we come up with these little memes and, and you know, so the other day one was um, many who have met Christ, did not know Jesus is the Christ. Many who have met God don't know him yet as Abba, and many who have encountered the Spirit have not yet been baptized by her. And then, but I, wow. and I have, I have good news for them. Mm. And so like, yeah, to me, that's, to me, that, that's a guy who just wants to completely uh, uh, change the, 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 the language we're using and, and start the conversation over. Yeah. 
Yeah, hopefully. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember um, did you ever see Escape from New York with with uh, Kurt Russell, the old um, Snake Plissken? Snake Plissken, nicely done. <laughs> Love it when an obscure reference actually makes contact with reality. Well, when they did, uh, uh, I don't, and I don't know if it was John Carpenter who did the second one, but anyway, Escape from L.A. He's got this op, this this uh, button at the end of the film, and he can he can end all of. Uh, technology and and yep. you know electricity and just everything comes to it. So and and somebody says, oh don't snake, don't do it, don't do it. And of course he presses the button and the screen goes black. Is there a sense with you that you would almost like to do that with the conversation and start over? I have a sneaky way of doing because I also have a conservative impulse mm. and I want to conserve the ancient faith, the faith once right. delivered, but. But that does mean turn, hitting the hitting the reset button, and saying um, I want to start this conversation again, not fresh from today, but back in the in the first three centuries. And so that's my mentors now, because mm. they and here's why: um, I believe that um, in the in the ancient world, not only Christian, but let, let's say out of Plato and so on, that they they were convinced God is good and all He does is goodness. And that goodness is manifest as beauty, truth, and justice. Hmm. And in the modern world, especially the Refor Reformation theology, they grabbed the truth as dogmatic statements. They grabbed justice sort of as their ethical um, puritanism and all of that. And what they missed was the beauty. And I believe beauty is a criteria for truth. So I'm asking people, is your gospel beautiful? Because if it's ugly, it's probably wrong. And the more beautiful it is, the closer it gets to divine. And so that's it. it so I really relate. Like I want to hit that button, but but it doesn't send us into just um, you know a black screen. Hopefully, it would at least say, "Could we start on that foundation?" <laughs> right. They they were in other words, they were they were onto something. They were, I believe they were really on to something. So, and it's so funny that the thing they're on to is just what John says in First John 4. It's like God is love. And anybody who loves knows God. And he doesn't say but after that. Right, and it seems right. like everybody, everybody I encounter is sort of in conservative evangelicalism, at least. It's like it's God. God is love, but. <laughs> right, and right. and uh, no, actually, not but. Brad, Every just... ass, it's all about love. Just before we wrap up, I think that's a beautiful mm -hmm. segue into a question I wasn't going to ask you because it's probably uh, not a can of worms, but it just would take us down another path. But and maybe this is part two: divine presence. Mm -hmm. is, God is love. Divine presence. I mean, are they synonymous? Is I mean, I'm hearing that phrase more. I mean, is it you know seeing God in the details kind of a thing? Um, yeah, there's an ancient ancient. Um, prayer called the Trisagion prayer. It goes like this. O heavenly King, O comforter, spirit of truth, who is in all places and fills all things, treasury of good gifts and giver of life, come dwell with us. And so this idea is, again, the truth of the, truth of the matter is that the spirit of love is, anchors the entire universe. And we want to have that experience ourselves, so we welcome that divine presence, even though, like, apart from it, we wouldn't even be breathing. But it, it's a lot like um, it, in Paul says, in, in him we live and move and have our being. That's a lot like um, the two fish that are out swimming, and the old fish comes by and says, like, hey, boys, how's the water? And then the fish think after a while, and they're like, what's water? 
and it's it's <laughs> i want to say that in in this love the whole universe lives and moves and have mm. its being and now and now we we name it so that we consciously experience it as love um i joke with uh, the people i work with and family and pretty much anyone who will listen to me that i'm always looking for a sound bite uh, for the day and and uh, beauty is a criteria for truth for me is or is 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 is, is marvelous and something i think uh, i'm certainly going to be taking away from our yeah. conversation today and oh man barely we're barely out of the gate man what the heck is going on we're gonna have to get part two uh booked asap tell us a little bit about uh, so a more christ-like god brad jerzak a more beautiful gospel you can get access that to that in many places but don't forget bradjerzak.com and you've got two new books out one that sounds fascinating called in yep which is a brilliant title and then a more christ-like way yeah both available on amazon now and um brad thanks for your time today i mean i, I really appreciate it is and i i mean the conversation has has begun my pleasure what a what you i love your questions i love your mind and looking forward to more thank thanks for your time today we've been talking to brad jerzak uh, author of uh, many many books blogs and and important tweets <laughs> and <laughs> memes uh, here with us today um yeah thanks again for your time today. my pleasure deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Black Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.